Let's get going. I was informed we have one more little piece of business that we need to take care of before I get started. And so if I could get uh, my little helper here who's not paying attention to me. She's got something she'd like to say and do. Come on up here. You want to stand on the stage? You don't seem to not like attention, so. You can go up there. Yeah, go on up. There you go. Don't fall. Good. Good. All right, so what do you have to tell everybody? It's my dad's birthday. All right, we're ready. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mike. Happy birthday to you. All right. Just so you know, it is, it, it's, it's her world. We just live in it, just so you know. And I also feel like we're, we're missing God in something because we've had a lot of birthdays but no cake. I don't understand that. So we need to rethink this a little bit. There needs to be a cake in here somewhere. Oh my goodness. Y'all are broke this time of year, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, constantly. Wow, well happy birthday to everybody. In case we missed anybody, happy birthday y'all. So, well let's get going. Let's pick up where we left off. And we've been in this series and in His image, looking at what it means to be created in the image of God. And as we've talked about, we see that from the beginning, man was designed and created by God as his representative on the earth. And we know what happened. Man gets it wrong, turns over his authority. But then God raises up a nation, and Israel was God's representative on the earth. They, of course, got it wrong, but through them comes Messiah. And here comes Jesus. And as we saw in the scriptures, Jesus was the representation of God on this earth. But Jesus didn't get it wrong. Jesus got it right. And the thing that he did is he reinstated man back to his proper place if they are in Christ. In other words, in the original design of what God had done, man and God lived cohesively together. I know there's a lot of ideas out there about what the Garden of Eden was like, and we have all these ideas that come from movies and books. Most of those aren't biblical. Understand this. Man and God lived together constantly in cohesion. After the fall, man and God no longer lived together. When the nation of Israel was formed, I guess if you will, the presence of God dwelt inside of a tent or dwelt inside of the temple. And only one guy got to spend time there. But when Jesus came, the presence of God returns to earth as a man, lives a life that we couldn't get right, and when he died, he reinstates man to do what? Now we can enter boldly. Now we go through the veil that is his flesh. And now, once again, all believers are God's representative, His imager. We are His authority on this earth. This is the whole concept of not taking the Lord's name in vain. It's because calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you one. Calling yourself a Buick doesn't make you one. Calling yourself an orange or whatever other thing you want doesn't make it true. It's what happens in our heart. What change has taken place in our life. And we see the work that Jesus did as he was getting ready to go in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So what has he said? He said, all authority has been given to me, so because of that, you now go and you make disciples. Now, who is he talking to? His disciples. So now he's taken his representative and said, go and make more of you. You baptize them in the name, and the name is crucial, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe. We call that discipleship. So you create disciples, and then you teach them. You guys with me so far? This isn't complicated. But why did he say this? He said it's because all authority has been given to me. So now he is his representative. So he makes disciples. Well, what's a disciple? A disciple is somebody that's associated with a specific teacher or teaching. It's a group, something about them that separates them from somebody else. They are known for this association, their speech, their actions. They all reflect the values or the teachings or the, the precepts that this teacher has laid out or this group. You know them. We have them today. We have all sorts of things out there um, that we can look at, but we're not going to for time's sake. Then in John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, who is he talking to? His disciples. So now we're beginning to put the pieces of the puzzle together. He gave the uh, disciples a job, and he also said, as a result of you being my disciple, here's what you're going to do. Greater things than what I have done. I'm going to my Father. You are going to continue to do this. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. So what did Jesus do? And this is really what the crux of what we're looking at. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested, you by God to you, uh, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God th did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So we follow the example of Jesus. What drew attention to Jesus? It wasn't simply his teaching. Jesus was just another man, a man from Nazareth as far as anybody else was concerned. They didn't know who he was. There was nothing special about what he was teaching per se, but what got their attention were the wonders, the miracles, the signs. Those got his attention, got the attention of all those around him. And then what drew the attention of Jesus' disciples? What drew people to them? It was the exact same thing. We went through a few of these. We're not going to recap all of this. But in Acts 3, where, where Peter looks at the man that's been uh, lame since birth, sitting there at the beautiful gate, and says, stand up and walk. And he stands up and walks. And suddenly, there's a commotion all around. Why? There was a guy who couldn't walk, who now can walk. Would there be a commotion here today? You're darn right there would be. We'd all be shouting and screaming, and someone might take a lap around the building. Who knows what kind of chaos would come out of that. But God would be glorified in it. We saw in Acts chapter 5 how they would bring the sick out, that even Peter's shadow would fall upon them. I know that sounds weird to us, but to a Jewish person, they believed the shadow was part of their body. That's why if they crossed paths with something dead, they didn't even want their shadow to touch it because it would make them unclean. So we see this happening, but it wasn't just the disciples. It was the disciples of the disciples. See, Jesus had tons of disciples. In Acts chapter 6, it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great signs among the people. And so as we're looking at this, we've got to ask ourselves this question. What is the point of any of this? You and I are what we would call born again. We were where the term Christian comes from. It was just a sect of Judaism. It was something to, to put a name with this group that were kind of going against the norm, the societal norm. They weren't doing the things that all the other groups were doing. Because even the Pharisees were kind of going along with parts of what Rome was saying because it made it easier on them. 
they would justify it so that they wouldn't have any trouble. The Herodians, of course, did whatever Herod said. The Essenes, they would, they would go along too. The Sadducees, they were kind of your, your more liberal-minded people where they were just kind of, well, we don't need that word and we don't believe in any of the supernatural stuff. We just kind of have our group. But these disciples, they were different. And all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did, the question I have for you today is, what was the purpose of what he was saying? Well, the purpose of what he was doing. When he says, go and make disciples, how did he do it? Did he go up in front of a large crowd and he get here and he said, listen, if you don't know where you would go if you died, if you were to walk out of this building across the street and you were to get hit by a bus, because you know that's how Jesus would say it. It's a joke. Try to keep up. Get hit by a bus today and if you don't know you go to heaven or hell, you need to come up here. I need everybody to bow their head, close their eyes. Did we ever see Jesus do that? We didn't. In fact, if you think about it, this is what I'm going to show you today. The way we do things today are not the same of what Jesus did. And I'm not even talking about the method, because there's nothing wrong with what I just said. There's nothing in the world wrong with it. But Jesus wasn't out there preaching to people to go to heaven. I want you to think about that. Because that's our whole thing. You have heaven, you have hell. Very hot, miserable, not good. Pretty spectacular where you want to go. It's like asking your children, you have ice cream, you have broccoli. What do you want to do? You need help. It's ice cream every time. Okay? It, it's, we, we, we simplified it that, but it's like, was Jesus trying to tell people how to go to heaven? Was Jesus giving people the message of the gospel so that they could go to heaven? Because that's what we do, is it not? Think about every church service you've ever been in. Any type of church service, whether it be an actual church or maybe a tent meeting or anything like that, they always present the gospel and it's always with the intention so that you will go to heaven. Almost across the board. But the question is, is that what Jesus did? Let's look at the scriptures today because this matters. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is going to choose his disciples. Now, is he going around, he's going to pick them. Now, understand this before we read it. This was a very common practice. A rabbi, which just means teacher, would always handpick disciples that would follow him. Those disciples, if they were to proselyte, were not simply going out there and teaching the message. All they were doing was bringing people to the teacher. Once the teacher was gone, many times those groups would break up. Okay? But understand what was happening here. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says that Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John, his brothers. And the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and immediately left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now let's stop. What did he say to them? Follow me, and you will go to heaven. That's not what he said, is it? He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now this seems really short, and it's probably a condensed version of what actually all took place in this conversation. But what did he promise them? You're no longer fishing for fish. You're going to fish for men. Now, if you're looking at that from a natural standpoint, you'd be like, does it pay the same? I mean, what, how does this work exactly? 
He did not tell them that they were going to have a glorious life. He did not tell them that they would have their best life now and that riches would come into their life. He did not even tell them that they would go to heaven. What did he tell them? Follow me. I'm going to give you work to do. Let's look at another one. John chapter 3. This is a a passage you all are very familiar with. John chapter 3 verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what got the, uh, this, this guy's attention? Signs, the wonders, and miracles. We know you're from God because nobody can do what you do. That matters. Jesus had been teaching. Uh, Nicodemus was a teacher of the Pharisees. And you're going to see him address him as such here shortly. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So now he's telling him what must happen to do what? Go to heaven? No. See the kingdom of God. Now you'll see that these, are, these kind of are one and the same, but they kind of aren't. Bear with me. Verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I know I've addressed this before, but let me make sure you understand. This is not talking about baptism. This is talking about birth. The water breaks. Born naturally, born spiritually. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? So now we know his role. This is a man who understood the Scriptures. This is a man who taught the Scriptures. And he is confused by these simple things that Jesus is saying. Are you the teacher of Israel, and do you not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. So now we get the term heaven being used. But up until this point, it wasn't even brought up. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So now I've just given you this entire context. So now what was the crux of it? What brought Nicodemus in? It was the signs, the ones, and the miracles. Nobody can do what you're doing unless by God. And what did Jesus immediately do? Listen, brother, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be made with God, he said, no man sees the kingdom of God except the Son of Man. He's giving a lesson in here that we must be born again, and he's explaining about exactly what it is. Now, the kingdom of God in heaven are not necessarily one and the same. Now, they can be used somewhat synonymously, but they're not necessarily one and the same because the kingdom of God is at hand. You're going to see that here momentarily. But I want you to understand something. is that what we have done about getting people to heaven, okay, is a misnomer and an injustice because, as you're about to see, Never once was the goal. In other words, if you're born again and you get to go to heaven, what do you get to do now? You get to relax. I'm in. 
That's not what Jesus taught. He commanded his disciples to teach them what I have taught you. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. We read this last week. It's one of my favorite passages. Verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. That's my favorite part right there. I laugh every time I read that. Saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now you notice he didn't say heaven. See, the concept of eternal life, living forever with God, it was not a new concept. However, the location, the way that we talk about it, is. Because we talk about going to heaven. However, what does the end of Revelation tell us? The old heaven and old earth will be destroyed, and the new heaven and new earth. The new Jerusalem coming down, which is the heaven that we think of, coming down to there. Where will we spend eternity? On the new earth. Not floating around on clouds with little fat baby angels playing harps. Okay? That's not what's going to happen. The goal was never about getting to heaven. Let's keep reading. He said to them, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and as you love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Live where? Eternally. It wasn't about getting to heaven. It was about living eternally. Now, let's go back to John chapter 3. Let's look at verse 22. Okay? We're just finished up there. We're talking about Nicodemus. Let's move on. After these things, what things? Well, he's talking about the very things, his encounter with Nicodemus. Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them, and he baptized. Now, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they, answered, or, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Now think about this. The people that John was baptizing, that there would be one after him, whose sandals he's not worthy to tie, the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit, this one will come. Now instead of coming to John and his group, they're going to Jesus and his group. And that's causing a problem for John's group. You see, there's a little bit of a jealousy that's going on. It's the same thing with the Pharisees. Why they were always going against the, the things that God was doing is because they didn't like it because it went against them. It didn't bring the attention to them. He is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now watch what John says, verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John knew exactly what his role was. This is all about bringing people to Messiah. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth uh, is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent, uh, God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, what did John not say? He who believes in the Son will go to heaven. 
what will they have? Everlasting life. If you die today, what is your location going to be? It will be heaven. But that was not the focus. Never once was heaven the goal. Let's keep reading. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now stop for a moment. So, how many disciples did Jesus have? Thousands. There were so many. Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. But who did the baptizing? So what was Jesus doing? Could Jesus have baptized those people? Conceivably, yes. However, he's training his people. He's training his disciples. So Jesus didn't have 12 disciples. He had 12 apostles. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of disciples. Now, he's getting ready to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now what did I tell you last week or two about Samaria? These people do not get along. The whole story about the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, they were from Samaria. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They were half Jews. They were still equally the body of God, but they weren't looked as such and that is part of the crux of the story so they did not travel through Samaria they travel around Samaria so that's problem number one that Jesus did problem number two is he talked to a woman and not just any woman Samarian woman this is a problem they would not converse with the women this is just how it was at that time they would never do any of these kind of things so Jesus here doing this is going against the societal norm now understand God never told them they couldn't do this okay this is simply describing the behavior that they had. This doesn't mean that it was prescribed by God. So he says to the woman, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So if you didn't know why before, you do know now. This is why they didn't do this. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, what did he not just say? If you knew who you were talking to, you'd listen up because I can tell you how to get to heaven. That's not what he said. Let's go on. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus' answer said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What did he not say here? You drink of this water, you go to heaven. Now, watch this, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You have said, Well, you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. So now what is Jesus doing? He's reading. He's getting a, what we would call a gift of the Spirit, a word of wisdom or knowledge or something along those lines. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Now, did you ever hear one thing in there where Jesus is explaining to her how to go to heaven? Not one time. Not one time. Now, watch what happens as a result of this encounter. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So they didn't ask any questions. They just were a little shocked. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That means that they were waiting on Messiah just like the other Jews were, right? They were expecting him to come. He told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be him? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone uh, brought him anything to eat? Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, and others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Now what is he talking about here? The work of the ministry. He's telling his disciples that the work, the harvest is ready. The laborers are few. Not once is he talking about life in heaven. Don't worry guys, you're in. Why don't you sit down and relax? What is he telling them? All the things they should be doing. That they're getting ready to go and do when he leaves. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. I know we're jumping around a little bit today, but I want to show you some things here. Because we've got this idea wrong. Luke chapter 9 verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, let's stop for a moment. Jesus, in multiple times, preached the kingdom of God. What was the kingdom of God? The Messiah is here. And now it is time for the kingdom to start coming together. Ultimately, what we would call the eternal kingdom. And now it is time. Not once has he ever mentioned about dying and going to heaven. If you look at that up, you will find that it does not exist in that format throughout Scripture. Now, it is implied because when you die, you'll be with God. Today, you will be with me in paradise. It is implied, but it is never said the way that we do it today. He said, He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And He said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And they started, departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all things that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into the deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it and followed him, he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. So what did he talk to them about? 
When these multitudes showed up, they'd seen what the disciples had done. They heard what was going on. They show up. They followed him to where he was going. What did he talk to them about? Bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand. No. He talked to them about the kingdom of God and he healed all those who were in need of healing. Let's go down to verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Now what if we led with this today? What if we said, if anyone desires to come to Jesus, you first have to deny yourself. Then you have to take up the cross, which is a death instrument to die of the flesh you have to do that every day and you have to follow Jesus how many hands do you think will get raised probably a lot less but that is literally what it's talking about denying of ourselves taking up our cross and following him that is what Jesus was talking about what does it mean to do this why was this happening those are things we need to explore a little deeper. But the concept of that I'm saved and therefore I'm in is not a biblical concept. It's no different than those who believe that when uh, the rapture is going to take place, they're like, oh Lord, come quickly. That should be the furthest thing from our mouth. Because if He comes tomorrow, you have friends and family that are not right with God. That's not the heart of God. That's the heart of man. I'm in Let's just do this. Let's get out of here. I'm already in. Let's go. Let's go to chapter 10 of Luke, verse 1. So first he appoints the 12, sends them out. Now he's going to appoint the 70. He said, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Now, were the 12 included in this? I'm assuming not the way it's written. But understand that there were 70, at least, that were following him around besides the 12. So there's a bunch. And he sent them two by two before his face in every city in the place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on. And if not, you will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house, whatever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whatever city you enter and you, they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, wipe, uh, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know we, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than that city. Woe to you, Therese, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for the mighty works which have been done uh, in you have been done to Tyre and Sidon that they would have repented long ago being in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. These are very strong words. But what are they doing? They were preaching the kingdom of God. And we know because we've read in other places that they were healing as well. But the thing is, the same verbiage was said to those who received them as those who rejected them. The kingdom of God has come near you. It's the same thing. Never once was this glorious life promised to them. Never once was heaven promised to them. The kingdom of God has come near you. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. What was Jesus up to? 
he said, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest uh, to send out laborers to, into his harvest. And when he had called his twelve disciples, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Now the names of the twelve apostles were these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, John, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canine, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. All of these people were sent out to do what? Preach the kingdom of God. He sent them, he gave them power to cast out demons and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And not once did he ever tell them, go and tell them how they might get to heaven. Not one time was that ever mentioned. Let's look at another one. Matthew chapter 10, I promise, I'm almost done. Matthew chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide, uh, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two, nor two tunics, nor sandals or staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from the house of the city, shake off the dust of your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out a sheep in the, in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogue. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and, father, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents, and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When, the, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another, for surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the city of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach, uh, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do, you not fear, do not fear, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take the cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by by no means lose his reward. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished teaching his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now that was a mouthful. But when he said, I will make you fishers of men, what do you think he was referring to? This very thing. So what do you think the disciples of Jesus were saying to the people they were preaching to? Follow me as I follow Christ and I will make you fishers of men. Well, what does it take? It takes everything that I just read. You see, the way that we preach the gospel today is a self-centered gospel about you being right with God so that you can spend eternity in paradise. And that is a byproduct, not the crux of what was said, not the crux of what was intended. What was given at the moment that man was created was a job. You are my representative on this earth. I want you to subdue it and have dominion, and I want you to expand the garden. And they didn't. And as the nation of Israel, they were saying, I'm giving you a land, and you will be my representative in this world. And all nations will look upon you. And when they see you, they will see me. And many times, they didn't get it right. But when Jesus came in the name of God, the name given to him by God, as God's representative, he represented what God had intended originally, with all authority and all power. And then Jesus transferred that power and that authority to his disciples. His disciples is his body. And so when they went out and preached, what do you think they preached? The kingdom of God has come near to you. It's at hand. Repent and be baptized. Never once was this promise of a glorious life in heaven that all eternity we can spend with God. That, I would say, is somewhat of a uniquely American idea, but it's more of a first world country problem. Because when they go out and they preach the gospel in third world land, it's not about this glorious life. This idea that if we give, it will be given to us. And the concept about money... The way we teach it today is completely nonsensical. Because our best life now, compared to any third world country you want to go to, is completely different. Anytime something good happens to us, we assume that it is from the Lord. And anytime something bad happens to us, we assume it's from the enemy. But that's not biblical either. You see, we have so many ideas and so many beliefs that we have adopted through time that it's just unbiblical. It is self-centered to think that Jesus died so that we could just go to heaven. The right thinking is, I am now his disciple. And as a being a disciple of Christ, I have a job to do. I'm to go into the cities and preach the gospel. I'm to heal the sick. I'm to cast out demons. I'm supposed to do the very works that Jesus did. And according to him, I'll do greater works than he did. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. What do you think we should be doing? The exact same thing. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, 
And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Why did they bring those to him? Why did his fame go all over? Because he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He healed all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease. He cast out demons. He did all the things that he told his disciples to do. You see, we have a self-centered gospel. We make it sound as if it's about us so I can just have my life now. But we don't have the heart of God. Never once in Scripture it says that if you believe in Christ, that you are, the whole purpose is to go to heaven. That's a byproduct. Never once, but that's how we preach it. We've got to get things right. Because you've got to understand, we are in His image. We are His image. When He said, I will make you fishers of men, and they left everything behind... I guarantee you, and I'm going to share some statistics with you guys next week, I guarantee you that the majority of what is called the church today would not follow suit. They wouldn't do that. I'll share some of that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that we can count on you in every situation. Lord, every promise that you have made is a guarantee. Now, all we have to do is believe and trust in you and what you're going to do and what you have promised. And so, Lord, I just pray that you just break our hearts that you change who we are to match who you are, that we get right with you to know what you have called us to do. As your disciples, as your followers, to go around preaching the gospel each and every day. Every day is an opportunity that we are squandering. But Lord, may we be centered and focused on you and who you are and what you have said to do your works, to truly be your representative on this earth. So, Lord, we give you glory. And I thank you that you open up doors of opportunity for us. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you next time.